You're listening to Highlands Business, a weekly business podcast where we gain insight from business leaders, a place to be understood, inspired, and get real sharing of triumphs and lessons learned. I'm Ken Wooten, a pastor and a businessman, and I'll be your host. My motto in life is if you're not the best, how do you become the best? And if you are the best, how do you get better? Enjoy this next episode, and if you find this content helpful, don't forget to share and subscribe. We started these Zoom calls. Uh, it was all about, wow, how are we going to survive? I know my mindset has changed and fluctuated. It's been like a roller coaster these last 10 weeks. Uh, but many businesses are reopening. And, and even though today Australia was officially declared to be in recession, it's obviously a lot less uh, diabolical than it could have been. And um, I think we, we're, we are so blessed to be in this country and in this time. And so there's a lot of optimism as well. I think that feels very different to eight weeks ago or 10 weeks ago. Um, but it's great that we've been able to have these weekly meetings each week. I'm journeying through that together. And there's so many great people on tonight. Um, I just want to say we have different guest speakers every week, but just recognise that, that there's so many wonderful people who join us each week as well with your own wealth of wisdom. And we'd love you to have you connect with Highlands Business. And I see Ken uh, and his team have done a great job rebranding from Business Net to Highlands Business. And it looks looks amazing so we've got a bit of a brand going and you know these sessions have been not only watched on the night but people are um, watching these afterwards and we're looking at doing more with podcasts with a lot of requests for people and people in particular love last week with James um, Bartle from Outlander Denim joining us and uh, uh, but people have been watching over the whole series so look thank you for tonight the whole purpose of this is simply to encourage you um, to do business as a community to inspire you to travel together um, life is better when we do it together, and um, it's it's been great to do that. And so, uh, I just want to thank Ken uh, and the whole Highlands team for allowing and facilitating, and paying for Zoom business, and all those things that go into that. Um, it's really great for a church that cares about business people, um, and uh, there's plenty of churches that do care about business people too. Of course, um, all of them do really, but Highlands is pretty great. At, and Ken, you've got a real passion for it personally, so it's um, it's really just great to be part of that. But tonight's not a church gathering; it's simply. Um, we want to encourage you wherever you're at um, in business. And I look forward to having David or Dave Hodgson, um, Hodgson I got it right, um, interviewed tonight. So I'm going to hand over to Ken. Remember to put your questions if you've got for um, David and, uh, um, and we'll, we'll answer them as we go. We're going to finish at 8.30 sharp. It's great um, um, yeah, um, to have you here, Dave, and I look forward to hearing all your story and more about you. So over to you, Ken. Thank you. Thanks, Isaac. Uh, it's great. Now, Dave, I was thinking about the first time we met. I think we met in a golf club up on Caloundra when you did have a significant uh, credit card debt before you were starting businesses. Tell us a little bit about that story and how it all happened and, and how, where, where are you now? Tell us a little bit about your business and where you're up to and that'd be great. You got a good memory, Ken. That's frightening. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we're going back that far, um, I had seventy-six thousand dollars worth of credit card debt um, from a failed business up on the Atherton Tablelands, and I oh. had come here to help build this local church in Caloundra, mm -hmm. and um, so. Uh, 
uh, I had no assets and, and all I had was $76,000 in debt. And it was mostly cash drawn off credit card to pay the last of our wages. And so I um, wanted to, uh, you know, I, I wanted to grow a corporation as quickly as I could because I was in my late 40s. That was in 2001, I think, or somewhere around there, 2000. And so I joined Aussie Home Loans. I actually had to borrow clothes from the pastor to get the job, to get to go to the interview. And I joined Aussie Home Loans and learned how all the banks worked and then figured out how property development worked. And then I figured out how I, I, um, I wanted to get out of property development into business acquisitions. So I figured out how to do that as well. And with all of that, collectively, we bought businesses that are in sectors that we thought were, or I did, I, I, that I thought were in sectors that were resistant to economic downturn. So by 2006, I guess, 2005, 2006, I was a full-on financier, or I owned two finance companies then. We own five now. Uh, but at that time, I became an international financier, and I realized there was unsustainable debt right around the banking system. So we're heading for a downturn, and that was why we focused on buying businesses that we thought were resistant to economic downturn. So when the first downturn came in 2007-8, we came out three times bigger than we went in. So we went, you know, so keep in mind, I had 76 grand with a credit card debt in 2001. By 2003, I had a $100 million company. And then when we went into the, the global financial crisis, we were around about a 200 or 180 odd million. We came out nearly a $600 million company. Here we are today, we're a $1.2 billion corporation. We own 32 companies and trusts. We own them privately, just my wife and I. And we um, are prepared for this downturn. So we're in the middle of acquisitions right now because there are distressed assets, distressed companies, and we like to buy them and bring in all the stakeholders. We don't plunder anybody. We want them all to prosper. It's the slogan of our company. So that's who and what we are today. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. So tell me, what do you see around this time, Dave? How do you see and what opportunities do you see around this time? This is a huge, all downturns are huge opportunities. We, we should actually look forward to economic downturn because you know, if you understand the, the fundamental economic theory of profit-driven capitalism, which is what we all tend to live under, it's completely unsustainable. It always ends up in crashes. Every 80 to 100 years, it implodes on itself. This, this time around, it's obviously caused by a medical crisis leading to a financial crisis. But if we go back, you know, 12 years to 2008, that was a genuine financial crisis. It was unsustainable debt and we fixed it with more debt. So it had to blow up again at some point. So it's sort of blown up now, but it hasn't really blown up. This is government stepping in and bailing everybody out and so on. We still are going to have a major economic crisis, a whole reset, proper economic crisis. Okay, the, I lecture at economic summits all over the world for the UN for, you know, even visited the White House and spoke to the, you know, at the invitation of the Treasurer of the United States recently, discussing uh, domestic financial policy and so on. So I get a lot of feedback from all of the economists and I've talked to them privately and when they're talking privately they actually tell the truth which is usually foreign to them when they're talking for their banks or their countries but either way the point being that we have an economic downturn coming you know much greater than we've seen before so that's awesome that's what we need we need to learn to do business in a much more sustainable way so profit-driven capitalism is always going to blow up 
If we learn to use a more holistic version of capitalism, whereby we, we consider people, profit, and planet equally and of equal importance and equal ratios with an overarching culture of caring and sharing, instead of a culture of greed and self-centeredness, a culture of caring and sharing, then we will build big corporations and, and the wealth will, not, will never be centralized. Wealth will become infinite. And when wealth is infinite, which is how, which is how it should be, then we all prosper. And yeah. that's, the, that's the culture of our company. And I think that's what's coming. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, Dave, you, you've, you had a military experience. So you were uh, Rhodesian military, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and special forces and then uh, the, the one above that and then the one above that, I think. <laughs> um, so is there learning you took from that that you've now brought to business absolutely very definitely um okay so i was in the sas which you guys would all be familiar with because australia has a very um, effective special air service so i was in the rhodesian sas which is c squadron we're all part of the same regiment based in 20 in hereford in the in the uk so I did four years in the SAS and I learned a lot about working behind enemy lines and all that sort of stuff. But then I joined a special forces unit called the Salu Scouts. And the Scouts was very different to the SAS. We actually infiltrated the enemy's ranks. We were trained to become terrorists and we became terrorists and we infiltrated their ranks and we killed them from the inside. Okay, so I'm, I'm not glorifying war or anything, just answering the question on what did I learn there. So in order to become a terrorist in the Rhodesian war, which incidentally went on for 14 years and we were being invaded. So we fought on home soil and behind enemy lines in, in the surrounding countries. But in order to do that, you had to know the enemy absolutely more than the enemy knew themselves. You had to be so intimate. I was a white black guy. I grew up with black people. They were my friends. I didn't, English wasn't my first language. Bemba was my first language and so on that, that when I lived in Zambia and then Shona became my first language. So I could infiltrate and, and be very, very effective. And the Salute Scouts were responsible for 68% of all enemy soldiers killed during the 14 year war. Right. So I, when I came into business, I looked around and I thought, I know how to infiltrate. I know how to, get into sectors that need to be changed and, and sectors that I can have a massive impact if I can infiltrate them. And to give you an example, last year, uh, no, it was 2018, sorry, I was, on, I was asked to come on a committee to uh, form investment policy for eight religions. Uh, and th this committee was done in St. Moritz in Switzerland. So there were 10 of us on the committee. There's over, there's over 3 trillion US dollars worth of cash and assets that eight religions want policy on, on how to do faith-based investing. So I was asked to come on that committee representing 600 million evangelical Christians around the world. So I was on that committee in St. Moritz and they, 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 they negative because they're all faith-based of different breeds and creeds and they, they actually will negative screen out various things that they don't like, like coal mining or if the, you know, the, the Jews don't want pig farming, the Muslims don't want pig farming. So they'll negative screen all of that out and they'll positive screen in all the stuff that they think is good. So I said to them, yeah. guys, there are unintended consequences of what you are about to do. So if you cut all supply to coal, no, no more money in coal, 300 million people will freeze to death this year alone. Is that what you faith-based people want? Is that what your faith says? No, no. Okay, good. We should infiltrate coal. 
And so we figured that out in 2010. We infiltrated coal. We bought a coal mine. We've, we've arranged it so that the coal that we have can only be used by the brand new boilers and from the energy producers so that, and they must use the Healy technology, the high energy, low emissions. They must have carbon capture and storage technology and so on and so on. We also clean up the environment. There's been a hundred years of coal mining where we are in Tasmania. We've made a massive positive eco, eco footprint and so on and so on. So eventually you end up with coal, which is still the cheapest baseload energy, which is clean. It's 95% reduced emissions. It's cleaner yep. than a lot of renewables. So I learned that in the Salu Scouts, whereby you know, we infiltrate. We did the same with the banking system. We think the banking system is crooked and corrupt and unsustainable. You're plundering your your clients in favor of your, you know, in favor of your shareholders with a bloated management in the middle. It's always going to collapse. So we, we've redesigned that. We have our own bank in Singapore where we don't have any shareholders. Myself and David Leslie are the shareholders. We don't need the money. So all the people who take the risk, which are the people who put the deposits in the bank, they get all the profit. Okay, yep. and we make money by using the deposits in order to invest in businesses or real estate or whatever it might be. So, yep. infiltrating is a really, really good way to fix big social issues and big business issues. We think. Yeah, that's really good. It's good. Um, so, how, how about the area of discipline, Dave? I was on a call with you uh, or text type conversation updates, and um, you're off to the office really early. You're you spend a lot of time praying as well um, as part of your spiritual disciplines. Um, yeah. this, would, would you see that as a big part in this world, in the business world? Yeah, definitely. I, I get up at four o'clock every day. My body just wakes up, so I don't want to lie around in bed. So I go and do my praying for an hour, then I'm into the gym, and then I'm here in, in the office if I'm in the country. So last year I did 111 lectures around the world. Um, so I wasn't here a lot. I was traveling a lot, um, crazy mixed up world. But anyway, I did that. And, um, but usually if I'm here in the office, I, I do 20 hours a day. I don't, it's just, you know, Paladin, our company grew so big and the marketplace ministry that we run around the world, which is the, the, you know, the applied biblical economics essentially is what I teach around the world for free. I don't charge, which is, I pay my own way. It cost about $3 million last year to, to run, that ministry called KI around the world and we pay. But the point being that a 20 hour day, seven days a week is is normal for me and has been for about 10 years. So mm. I don't, I know that we should have more sleep and I don't have a memory because of it. It doesn't get the hard drive, doesn't get recharged. But to me, it's just normal. I still manage to stay fit. I still manage to run a big extended family. I'm still the patriarch of our family. You know, we've got five kids, eight grandkids, one great grandchild, lots of brothers and cousins and the whole lot all lives close by. So it's a big scene. It's all happening all the time, but it's awesome. It's exciting and there's no time to sleep. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, that's good. I've got a couple of questions come through. One of the questions is, um, what are some of the things you're looking at when it comes to your acquisition? Is it aligned with people profit? and planet criteria, or is there an opportunity you look towards? Okay, so there's probably two sides to that, but we look um, towards buying businesses that are resistant to economic downturn. Okay, so obviously during downturn, the ones that are collapsing are not resistant because they're collapsing generally. So yeah. that, would, that would be a bit of a, you know, an anomaly if you think, so where do you get the businesses from? So usually you, you find that businesses are collapsing all over the show. We want, I'll give you an example. We want businesses 
when we do an acquisition, we want to acquire all the stakeholders. So even the creditors, the landlord, the whole lot, we, we, we want to change that culture of just maximizing self-interest at the expense of someone that's in distress. So I'll yeah. give you a quick example. During 2008 downturn, we bought, a, we, we have a big health club in Canberra. It's a Fernwood Women's Health Club, massive thing. And we knew that there was an, a, a, a competing health club, a different franchise that was in distress. So we uh, went, I said to my wife, why don't you make friends with her? It was a ladies health club and offer her, we'll buy the health club and we'll pay her this much, big healthy amount. And so my wife did that and this lady said, no, I'm fine, you know, nice to meet you and everything. And she didn't want to sell and she, she was actually saying she was okay. We knew she wasn't, but it didn't matter. Six months later, when the, when the downturn hit, she came to us, she was crying, she was heavily pregnant, she just was desperate. The landlord had locked the door, so she was locked out. The, the, the members couldn't get in, the creditors weren't getting paid, obviously the landlord wasn't getting paid. The whole thing's in distress. And she comes in the office crying, says, I'm desperate to sell, I've got to go and have my baby. Will you please buy my business? You can have it for this much. Remember, we offered her that much, now it's this much. So normally, you know, under this, this sort of profit-driven model that we all go after, you would just snatch it up and take the business and say, thank you, you're on your own, see ya. But we, that's not how to do business. That, that isn't actually sustainable. We know that if we can get them to prosper, we will prosper as well. So then we said, okay, Merlin came back to me, my wife said, what are we gonna do now? So I said, well, we go back and we offer her the same amount because nothing's changed from our point of view. We just want her members. The members are still there. So we're not going to plunder this lady. So you, you tell her we'll give her the same amount. You tell her that we're going to pay the landlord out because we need the doors open. We want some of that equipment and he's in distress. Okay. He's an ordinary dude. You know, he's got a, he's got a mortgage and you tell her we're going to pay out all the stake, all the creditors that are waiting for money that are all in distress. Then there's all the members. They've all paid for their memberships, but now they can't get in. They can't train. So if we buy that and shut it down, well, then they still can't get in. So tell all the members they can all come to our club and they can train for free at our club for the duration of the balance of their membership there. So this is a lot of money and a lot of stress lifted off this lady. And then we said to her, okay, but here's the opportunity for you to really make some money. We want your members. So you get on the phone and you phone every single person who ever walked through your door. You tell them what awesome people they are and you, we are and tell them they've got to come to our club. So yep. this lady, now she wasn't a very good club manager, but she was an excellent saleswoman. And she got on the phone and just started sending people. And I said to her, you send people, we will pay you for every member that walks in our door. When you get to 10, we'll pay you a margin on the next 10 and another margin on the next 10, a bigger one on the next 10. So she had the opportunity to make a lot of money. This is the gleaning principle in the modern day marketplace. Yeah. And so as, as they started coming, it just dwarfed our own sales. We didn't know whether the member, new members are coming from our sales or her sales. So we just paid her for all of them. And she went away a prosperous woman, a woman of means. We just got so many new members who sign up every year over and over. So we just work in massive multiples and everybody left happily ever after. And that's yeah. how an acquisition should occur. Mm. Now, health clubs are not is resistant to economic downturn. These ones are in Canberra. So they're the exception, which is why we bought ours there. Because most of those ladies are career girls for the government and they don't get affected that much by downturns. So yeah. that's why we did that. Yeah, IT, technology, telcos, all of these companies that all these sectors that really always prosper. Energy is another one. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you, if you buy into any of those, 
they seem to do well during economic downturns. Yeah, that's good. Really good. Really good. How did you get your capital, uh, Dave? How did you raise the initial capital when you, uh, and how do you raise capital now to do the acquisitions in these times? Because you've got your own bank in Singapore and things like that now, but. Yeah, and five, and we own five finance companies here in headquartered in our head office here. So the what we've done, we, we looked at the structure of capital raising, and we found that there were a lot of people in the middle. So there's somebody who's who's taking the risk that's investing. There's lots mm. of people in the middle who are getting commissions and fees and things like that. And then you've got the project at the end. And we found that the person at the bottom who actually took the risk was getting less, was actually getting the least, generally yeah. speaking. A small 8% or something like that in those days, lower these days. And so we decided if we can take out the middle people and and make sure that the person taking the risk gets much, much more, then they will all come to us. Now, we don't want to put the middle people out of work either. Okay, so we said, let's employ the middle people on wages. We'll give them generous wages. All of our staff here paid massively above the award and so on. So yeah. we did all of that and we found that we could pay investors as high as 17% per annum. So we formed a fund. We just went to a licensee in Brisbane and we formed a fund called the Paladin Acquisition Fund so we could do business acquisitions. That fund still goes to this day. It doesn't raise new capital, but it's still operational. That was in 2004. So for yep. 16 years, it's been paying 17% per annum, paid monthly with uninterrupted returns. It's the, it's the best track record this country's ever seen. Yep. So we've... We, we, shut, we didn't raise any new cap because it's an unlisted public company. It's expensive to run. There's easier ways. So we then opened um, the five finance companies or we bought ones along the way and those finance companies raise money. But it's the same principle. Mm. If we pay people well, they will join us and they stay with us. And, and because we have such a, a diverse um, group of companies, we always need capital. We're always needing working capital or acquisition capital or whatever it might be. We make sure that those companies are all strong and they can all, they borrow the money from these finance companies. We make sure that they can all pay that money back. It's very easy for a company to pay 15% per annum to investors. I think our default rate is 12% these days because interest rates have dropped a lot. But, you know, we can lend money out into the uh, commercial money market at, at 15 or 16% per annum. So paying investors 12% per annum is easy. There, there is a market in this country that is utterly insatiable, which is the market that the banks won't lend into. It's just yeah. short-term commercial people who are importing stuff. They want, you know, two mil or they want 800 grand to import something that they've pre-sold for 180% markup. Mm. And now they need cash. The bank's too slow to move. They phone us and Dave can you lend us 800 grand. We only want it for six weeks. So we lend it to them. You know, we're getting 15% per annum divided down to six weeks. Um, and they're making 180% on it. So they love it and we're happy to do it and so on. So yeah. that, that then helps pay investors and helps us acquire our assets. You got to have that work, so it's not an easy thing. Yeah. So, what would you say to people on this call who are in the middle of business, in the middle of thing? What what key things would you say to them to remember in business? Yeah, I I, I always think that we should isolate ourselves from the macro picture, the macroeconomic picture. So, for example, 
you know, the media thinks that this is the end of the world. And eight weeks ago, when Isaac was doing the intro, eight weeks ago, you know, it, it, suicide would have been all of our only option almost with this crazy, useless media that we have in this country. So at the end of the day, if you isolate yourself from all of that, look at your own businesses and say to yourself, what are the opportunities that I can take during this time? For, like for us, the health club got closed down okay, on the 23rd of March our big fernwood got closed down two million dollars in revenue gone overnight nothing we did wrong we had an awesome club and nothing we did wrong government making sweeping uh, badly thought through policy okay so they closed down the, the health club so we say okay and 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 the media's in tears and everyone's here what are we going to do about that well we happen to have a very toxic landlord and we don't like staying there we've got a year left to run but we know that lots and lots of small businesses are going to be collapsing so therefore Westfield, which is right next door, is gonna have lots of vacancies over there and they're gonna be hurting. And they got deep pockets, but they're also sharp business people. So why don't we go to them and say, hey, do you want a big anchor like us, seeing as everyone's departing your place? And as soon as we went there, they said, wow, of course, come in, come in. They couldn't do enough. They wanna pay out our, the balance of our year. They wanna give us a $400,000 fit out. We're up on a, on a mezzanine where everybody that comes into Woden in Canberra can see Fernwood, you know. So the point being, we isolate ourselves from the macro depression that we hear. And we say, what are the opportunities? And, and that's just one of 32 companies. One of our companies will come out eight times bigger because of the opportunity that we've got now to do, to do video conferencing. We, we, we've got yeah. a big company, it's a tech company. And within that company, we have a video conferencing system, but it's, it's, it's only typically when people join, it's, it's a, the, the platform is an ERP platform. So a business management platform, which would naturally have video conferences built in. As soon as this happened, I got onto my CEO and said, hey, Mike, why don't we take that platform and turn it into a Zoom so the public can use it? That exposes our company to them. And it's a freemium level, just like Zoom is and so on. And Mike said to me, what kept you? We've already started. So, you know, with that, and he's very conservative, his projections show an eightfold increase in the users of that platform, which is amazing. So my advice to people would be isolate the, the yourselves and look at your own dynamics and see what opportunities are available. Even if you got closed down, there's still so many opportunities. Be positive about it. Yeah, that's good. What would you say to businesses who uh, look vulnerable in recession? What would you say to them right now? Well, it's, it's hard for you right now, but diversify when, as soon as you get the opportunity, you know, I lecture to about 60 million people a year, literally. And I try and teach them all of them, even if it's mum and dad with wages, we've got to diversify. We must have at least three income streams and get two of them. If, you, if you're on wages, the other two can be passive, whether it's an investment property, you know, whether you've got a membership site going, whatever it might be, whether you're selling stuff on, on eBay, whatever, there's lots and lots of ways of doing it. There's lots of ways of starting businesses with no outlay. Um, I don't know if I can tell you this, but we've got a, a, a you know, part of the, the marketplace ministry that we run is called Kingdom Investors. And on there is a membership site. Okay. So on there, we teach all of the stuff that I'm telling you now, but on there, we have lectures on how to start a business with no outlay. And yeah. If I was caught up now, if I had time and my business was shut down and I was struggling, I would want to know how can I start another one very quickly with no outlay. And there's lots of ways of doing that. 
So that would be my advice. Diversify, guys. Never get caught again. And also try not to understand which ones get hurt first. Property is the canary in the mine. You know, real estate is usually the canary in the mine. So if you're in construction of real estate, be careful. Um, you know, obviously holding houses for mum and dad investment properties is fine. I don't, I think I've got five or something, but I don't want them. My wife wants them. I think it's a bad return for what we can do. But the point being, she, she likes it for a security or something. But <laughs> they're okay as long as you hold them through the recession or through the downturn. But construction... Yeah usually that's pretty hard. And sometimes when the banks get into trouble, they'll foreclose and they can, they did that with us. Our fifth biggest bank did that with us. They, they gave us four days to give them 14 mil back in 2008, sold, fire sold the asset. They got into trouble, not us. So we took them on and we won. They had to walk away from their 14 mil. They're just crooks. Anyway, diversify. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, I had another question come through. How did you find the first few businesses you bought? And when did you know you could just keep buying businesses? Okay. So the first one, how did we find it? We just went to a business broker. Our actual goal was to fund our local church. That was the only reason we bought it. And it was that health club. And, and we bought that club purely and simply because I wanted to to fund our church. It needed money quite badly. It's a very, it's a church that has a huge impact on the local community. We feed 700 kids in a day and all sorts of stuff. So I didn't want the church struggling. So that's why we bought it. And we just got it from a business broker. I gave the broker the criteria that I was looking for. It needed to be very cash positive and um, it needed to be reliable. All the different criteria that we gave the, the business broker. And he found the one that uh, one in Canberra, we did our due diligence and then we bought that. But as soon as I did that and I saw that the model of the way we rose capital worked and the business was good enough to pay the 17% and the church, then I thought, okay, we can scale up because my whole drive, I'm not driven by profit. I'm driven by vision. Um, yeah. which is why we've built this company, which is why I lecture around the world. Yeah. I came from Rhodesia, which was the breadbasket of Africa. And within three, it had its problems, but within three years, Robert Mugabe turned it into a socialist basket case. And on the third year, it began to import food for the first time in 120 years, it imported maize. Okay, and throughout that 14 year war, we exported maize to our enemies to get foreign yeah. currency <laughs> under international sanctions. But when I look back and I saw the corruption and all that, I just thought, okay, I've come to Australia. This place is heaven. But when I looked behind the curtain, I saw it was just as corrupt. It was just a lot more covert and sophisticated. So I thought I need to change that. I need to influence the minds of the people that, that are all so greedy and self-centered. So I decided I needed to build a big company in order to have the influence and the affluence, the, the, the money, the cash, to get into the ears of the wealthy people and change the culture that drove them. And mm. so I wanted to then buy businesses that didn't lose money. I literally didn't have... It's a weird thing to say, but I didn't have time for businesses to go broke. I just, to, to me, businesses are stock, okay? They're tools. Yeah. And I didn't have time for tools that didn't work or weren't sharp and low or anything like that. So I made sure we bought stuff that would really enhance the vision. And that's how we became billionaires. And that's why we're in the White House last year. That's why I do stuff for the UN. And that's why we have so much influence. So it's awesome. Yeah. It's really good. Well, Dave, it's, it's 8.30. So we always yeah. try and pull up on time. Wow, that was quick. 
Yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's uh, we really appreciate it. appreciate your friendship as well, and just everything you've done and for the local church over the years, and the influence you have through Kingdom Investors. And um, so, just appreciate you, mate. Really do appreciate your time. Uh, I'll hand over to Isaac, and we'll wrap up tonight. Thank you, everyone, for being on. Yeah, thank thank you so much. And I think just had a great comment from Steve Clayton to say that was insanely valuable. And so it, it, in this short half an hour, I know I've got so much out of what you've just said. And I love just that um, um, driven by vision, not profit. And um, yeah, that, there's so so many gold nuggets in what you've said tonight that I've, I've been writing down furiously. Um, Dave, so thank you. And thank you for taking the time, I guess, to invest in others. People do matter. And just from a Highlands perspective, people matter. Um, that's why we've got this group and we're going to keep it going. We've actually got some really great speakers coming up in the next few weeks. Um, Ken, do you want to tell us who they are? Yeah, we've got a, I've got a banker next week on credit, which will be interesting. <laughs> so head of credit for Suncorp Metway, a friend of mine, and uh, he's going to be uh, talking to us next week. So we ask him all the banking questions. So maybe we need to send Dave a couple of texts beforehand. Um, and me. then we've got a guy called Phil Cave. Uh, Phil is the guy that uh, he, he's the chairman of the company. He actually did the Dick Smith float. Uh, Christian guy did the Dick Smith float. Incredibly wealthy guy. Uh, we're blessed to have him come on. He, uh, he does a lot of stuff with charity around the world as well. Um, but uh, he'll be an interesting guy. I went to his man cave in Sydney, which is on the, the bottom floor of an, in, uh, he called it his, his Phil Cave's man cave. And it's uh, got his McLaren and his Ferrari and his Morgan and his MGs and his McLaren simulator. It's the bottom story of a building in uh, Crow's Nest. Phenomenal. Raised money for Haggai Institute that particular night, which is just great-hearted guy. So a lot of good learning in that as well. Yeah, that's going to be great. And hey, um, just um, reach out to myself or Ken or anybody. Um, you can jump on the, the Highlands Business um, page. And um, if, you, if you really are doing it tough, and um, we'd just love to pray for your business, stand with you, um, give you support, have a coffee, um, whatever it takes. It's good coffee at Highlands too, by the way. <laughs> Pretty good. So um, yeah, anyway, thanks again, Dave. We really appreciate that. And uh, look forward to next Wednesday. Have a great week, everyone. My pleasure. Good night, guys. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody.